0: It's just an honor and a privilege to praise God and worship alongside of you, amen. I hope you'll join with me and and just enter right in, amen. Nothing brings me more joy than giving God glory, amen. This never gets old to me, amen. I hope it never gets old to you, amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together, I Bless Your Name. I bless your name. I bless your name I give I want to see you, well open the eyes of my heart Lord, open the eyes of my heart, oh I want to see you, yes I want to see i tonight, eyes of our heart that we could see his word, amen, chase away all doubt and fear, amen, in each and every one's life.
1: God bless you this evening and welcome to our broadcast from uh, Reiner, Virginia. And uh, we're broadcasting at home tonight and uh, trusting that the Lord uh, will meet with us as we gather together tonight. Uh, We realize that uh, this is not as good as being in church, but it is good for us to be able to gather together. So uh, gather your family and uh, take your Bibles tonight, and we're going to look into the Word of the Lord and study a little bit. We've been studying on the subject of the character of kings, and this is part three. Uh, We did two in the broadcast and one in the church, and um, I'd like to carry on tonight and uh, take this subject just a little bit farther. I find it a pretty fascinating one. Before we do that though, let's uh, have a word of prayer. And uh, I wanted to just bring you uh, just a couple of notes here, first of all. And that is that uh, we wanna remember Brother Donnie Reagan, uh, pastor at Happy Valley. And uh, Brother Donnie was uh, tested positive for the virus. And uh, he told me today he was not feeling so bad, but uh, he certainly has symptoms. And we want to pray that the Lord will undertake for our brother and uh, give him strength and protect him from the difficult uh, circumstances and the difficult symptoms that people experience. Uh, We know that that's not an easy thing at all. And uh, their church is shut down tonight. And we welcome those people who are from uh, that area who are watching, maybe watching tonight, May the Lord richly bless you. It's good to have all of you with us tonight, whether you're a part of our assembly or whether you're just visiting or listening to this on the archives. We welcome you and are always glad to have you. We, I, I deem this a, um, a definite kind of outreach where we can minister to people abroad and uh, touch lots of lives. We have, uh, you know, just, it's an amazing amount of people who, uh, listen to archives and, uh, you know, follow along in the services. And we're certainly glad uh, to be able to do that. It's, it's um, a great technology for us to be able to uh, continue to do that. So for those of you that are uh, listening tonight, you want to get your phones out. Uh, if you're not listening by your phone, uh, your phone is your Amen button. And so you can uh, text an Amen and let me know that you're there. Uh, that's always a great encouragement. Uh, because I can't see see you. I can't even see myself uh, on these broadcasts. I can just see the uh, screen that I'm working with here tonight, and uh, that helps guide me along. So let's pray tonight together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed for this opportunity we have to be able to gather together. And Lord, there's no greater peace, there's no greater presence than being in that place of safety, that place of Uh, peace that you have made for us, Lord, in the confines of your word. And so we ask now that you would just minister shalom to every heart, that, Lord, you would bring healing to those who are reaching out to you tonight that need your help. And, Father, even for us who are strong, we pray for those that are weak and hold them up in prayer before you, because we know that it is very often through the prayers of uh, believers that uh, we are able, Lord, to draw strength from you for each other And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we commit every need to you, Lord. There's almost too many needs, Lord, even to mention, but you are greater than all of them and the summation of all of them. And so we present them to you tonight in faith. Have your way among us, Lord, I pray. Bless the reading of the word and the ministry of the word. And Lord, may you just encourage every heart, I pray, in the strange and difficult times we live in. We just know that you have a plan for all of it. It's no shock or surprise to you. And Father, we ask that you would just give us your guidance and your leadership for the next step in our journey. We commit the evening now into your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Uh, I wanted to say a very uh, uh, happy anniversary to the shepherds tonight, Dennis and Sue Shepard uh, over in Virginia and uh, in Western Virginia. We just pray that the Lord will bless them on their uh, we understand that it's their sixtieth wedding anniversary. been trying to reach Brother Dennis all day, and I must have a we must have a phone number change, but uh, we wish them all the very best and so uh, may the Lord bless them and give them uh, wonderful years ahead also as well, uh, somebody mentioned to me about English uh, spoken word books, and there's a lot of people now uh, because of our access to books digitally. Uh, by phone and by computer and internet, we don't often have use for uh, physical books. I do. I still love to read my books and always will by God's grace. Uh, But if you have extra books or you know somebody or some church that has extra English books and they don't know what to do with them and they're not using them, we would like to have them. We have churches overseas that are asking us for English books. And so we will collect them. You can bring them to the church anytime and uh, we will gladly receive them. So you can bring them to the library, just mark them that they're uh, extra uh, English books for distribution. And uh, we will certainly take them. We appreciate that very much. Bibles are a little bit heavier to ship overseas, but spoken word books are always welcome. Also as well, uh, just wanted to temper the... um, uh, the link that I gave you on Sunday—it was a link that helped explain some of the things that were taking place in the Middle East. Uh, that, is not, that was not necessarily um, an easy article really to understand. I, I trust that some of you got something out of it, uh, but you had to remember—and I want to make sure that uh, I articulate this—that it is just a website. It is not—it um, is not a—you uh, know—an absolute. Uh, It is a good website that is mostly composed of articles written by Jewish people and uh, some of them are very schooled in diplomacy and uh, world events and so that makes that interesting. But um, we had to be always be very careful to understand that our filter is that modern events are made clear by prophecy. Uh, They're not clear because you found a better website, they are clear by prophecy. So everything that we read and everything that we go through and the link that's on that website, more than likely there are things on that website in total that are not edifying, that are not good at all. Uh, but that particular article I thought was one that was of interest to us because it did explain some things that are taking place in the Middle East. So it'd be worth uh, taking a look at if you like. The, um, there are several folks that we have not seen for a while in our assembly and uh, we certainly miss them. Uh, brother Troy and Sister Connie Hughes, of course. Uh, brother Roger Gibbs, the Smiths, Sister Angie Pruitt, the Drums and Sister Greg, Sister Carol Henley, Sister April, lives in Georgia, Sister Sherry Holly, and Brother Bill Walters, uh, to name a few. They are uh, greatly missed, and uh, we certainly uh, pray for you folks and uh, trust that the Lord will uh, minister to your hearts as well. And even though we haven't seen you in a little while Partly because of distance, partly because of the virus conditions, we do miss you and we want you to know that you are missed and we do pray for you. Let's jump into our study tonight, the character of kings. Uh, and we, we want to discuss this tonight uh, in relation to uh, the character that is found in the believer. Now we know that when it comes to character, it is the one thing that Brother Branham identified that we take with us when we leave here. Uh, We don't take anything else. We don't take worldly possessions. We don't take uh, even the clothes on our back. We just take character with us. It is the thing that follows us. The thing we leave behind uh, is our legacy. And the legacy is a summation uh, uh, and a description, if you like, of the exploits of your life here on earth. And so uh, our legacy is important because that is how people will remember you and the things that you did. Uh, A character is something that we develop over time because it is what God wants to have you live with, and this is how he wants you to be in the world to come. But the legacy is what people will always remember about you. And uh, I I think that, you know, character is important because it has an eternal flair about it. But I think legacy is also important, too, because uh, I want to leave a good example behind. I didn't want to leave a bad memory behind of uh, my life and, and the things that I did. And people, for instance, saying, well, I, I sh-, you know, Brother Barry should have done this or should have done that. Uh, I, I would like to be, uh, you know, active for the kingdom of God. And I'd like to be living the word instead of just uh, talking about it and, uh, you know, discussing it with people. I'd like to be someone who lived it. And people would say that. Uh, I was a believer. I I think it would be the ultimate compliment in my life. So we we were talking, we're talking about this subject, uh, the character of kings, as we study some of the Old Testament aspects of the kings uh, there and how uh, God established kings back in the Old Testament. Uh, It helps us to see how uh, some of them were very successful. Some of them were absolute failures. Uh, some of them were grievous to God, and he regretted and uh, was saddened by their, by their performance and by their reign. And then yet there was other people who truly were blessed, and uh, the people who lived under them were truly blessed. And it's a very interesting principle to watch. Um, we know that uh, when it comes to um, the stability that we need to have in troubled times, Uh, watching the the lives of of kings and what they did, how they were successful when they were attacked and how enemies came against them so often. Uh, There were things that they did to bring trouble on themselves and then there were things that they did not do. They were just victims of attack of the enemy. But uh, God's goal for his people is to, number one, is to be successful in every battle you face, to be an overcomer. And the second thing is that God wants you to learn from not only your own mistakes and your own experiences, but he wants you to learn from the mistakes of others and the successes of others. And he wants you to be a graduate in the school of adoption. Remember, you're the only student in the school of adoption. God is the principal and the teacher. And he never lets us go to the next grade until we pass what it is that he's trying to teach, teach to us. So the whole process of adoption is about you and about your progress and about your spiritual growth. And God's very interested in that. So adoption's goal is liberty. The end is the goal. Remember, God wants you to do things as he would do them. And he wants you to live in a certain way. Uh, Sorry, he wants you to live in a certain way uh, that is uh, an example to the believers. And he wants you to live in a a way that is a a complement to the kingdom of God. Certainly, that's what he wants, uh, wants to do. And so I I think it's a very important thing for us to learn from uh, the school of adoption and uh, to realize that uh, we are to be delivered. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 21, the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And that is the end goal of adoption. We're able to exercise all that we are predestinated to do. When you think about Joseph, for instance, uh, back in the book of Genesis, or you think about Moses or Elijah, one of those prophets there, uh, they experienced a liberty, but that liberty allowed them to do what they were predestinated uh, to do. And truly, uh, freedom comes when we're positioned in the calling that God has placed upon our lives there is a specific calling and a role for each one of us. And uh, freedom comes when we're able to operate within that role. We are never made free to do what we want. That is a misunderstanding in scripture or in in people's perception of the scripture. Uh, When God puts a man somewhere and he is in the capacity that God's called him to be, then that man experiences biblically true liberty, and he's able to do what God's called him to do. There is more power in that position than there is in all the freedom or all the wealth or all the natural power or political power that a man could have. When you're in your position, just like, uh, you know, Abraham chasing kings and armies around the country, or Moses, uh, you know, defying the, the, uh, the nation of Israel, or sorry, the nation of Egypt, uh, back in his day, uh, there there is real freedom. But the opposite is also true: that if a man is not in his right position, he doesn't have real enduring power. So when we think about King Saul, uh, he was a good man, but he was not in his right role because he was not uh, of the tribe of Judah; he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So therefore, he did not have the liberty to overcome, and he did not have the victory that somebody who is in their proper position normally has. So I'm saying all that to say this, that as we see waves of sin, waves of sickness, waves of trouble that are passing over our, our time, over the times we live in, you should be in the right position. You should be striving uh, to be in the, in the right position, just like uh, Noah was, for instance, in, in his day. He looked at pending destruction. He looked at an oncoming storm and he w- he knew he was in the right position by faith. And he operated every day on the basis of that revelation. So therefore, there should be nothing between you and God at this particular point. There should be no one in between you and God at this particular point. Uh, God wants to have that uh, full control control in our lives so that we are able to be led to the position where you can be free to do what God wants you to do before he shuts it all down. The shutdown is up to God. Uh, the culmination is in God's timing. It's not in ours. And so we are, we trust that the Lord will uh, bring this to pass in his season, in his time. And it is a, uh, it is a truth and, and a confidence that we have that God's word is going to come to pass. Listen, we've said that many times. Here's a statement. I read this last time. Brother Branham said, his word is so eternal. When God has said anything, it will remain forever. It cannot be altered. It must be carried out. And when God speaks, it must be carried out. So when we read his word, it's eternal and never will cease to exist. I think I gave the example of how Uh, that when the rapture takes place, it is because God's word has declared it to be so. First Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall be changed. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And there's a body that's waiting for us over on the other side. Jesus said, uh, In my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would not have told you so, and I go to prepare a place for you. So whatever God has said, it's going to come to pass. It's eternal, and it'll never cease to exist. I believe his word with all my heart, Brother Branham says, all my soul, all my life, all I am. I just hang on to his word, and I believe it is forever the truth. Now, uh, let's, let's just uh, work our way into this, because I just really want to make a simple point, and then uh, we, we'll just uh, flesh it out a little bit with some examples uh, in the Old Testament here. Uh, the world is falling apart in 1963. Now, watch this statement here because it's a very interesting parallel to our times. Brother Random's speaking in 1963, and he's talking about uh, the denominational systems and the people within, the leaders within them. He says they want a Messiah, but they want it under their own conditions. They want to have a Messiah of their design. They want to have it their way. They want to have it in agreement with their own conditions. They want to have it in harmony with their own belief system. He says, yea, they want a savior. They did and want it now the same way. They did and they want it now the same way for the same reason for the denominations and politics has taken the place of the Holy Spirit. The ministers, instead of, he said, too many of them are led by religious politics instead of letting the Holy Spirit lead them. So what's Brother Brandon referring to? I put a little note of my own here in the bottom of this quote here. When When the Jews came to Samuel, they said, we want a king. And they were basically saying the same thing. We want a king under our conditions. We want to look like other nations. We want to have physical leadership. We look at, uh, you know, the sons of of, uh, Samuel who were corrupt, and uh, we don't want to have any kind of succession in relation to prophets. We want to have our own king. It was a very logical argument. Uh, In the same way, Brother Branham says denominations now, he says they want to have their own Messiah. But you got to remember, the position they take is one that's contrary to the leadership of God, because God has a way of providing a king he has a time for providing a king in the same way that god had a provided way to bring christ among the people in the last day but the people don't want it the way that god provides it they want it under their own conditions so they want to have you know this this political politically correct system so you you've all seen different videos and different uh you know different segments there where uh, denominational ministers and Protestant ministers have uh, cozied up with the Pope and uh, you know the World Council of Churches and those kinds of things. Um, they they want to they want to have some independence yet they want to be identified with the great leaders of our time and uh, they look at all of that and it's a physical demonstration of uh, their position in the world and what they want to be and how they want to project their own image. And here we find exactly the same spirit that motivated the people back in the Old Testament to push Samuel to pick a king. Uh, we want to have a king. Here's the job description. You do it our way. This is what you want. And let me tell you, God was more grieved at this than Samuel actually was. This was a big deal because God had in mind that there would be a king. God had in mind that there would come a monarch and and he would uh, reign in Israel But it had to be God's choosing. It had to be God's timing, uh, and it had to be something that was essentially outside of the realm of men's choice. In Psalm 93, David writes, "The Lord reigneth; he is clothed with majesty, and the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The Lord also is established, established that the world also is established." That it cannot be moved. He's talking about the physical globe of the earth, okay? Not the not the political systems, not the the world, the political world of mankind, but the actual globe itself, the physical world established that it cannot be moved. It is exactly where God has placed it, and thousands of years ago, when God created the universe, it's all operating in the same uh, timing and the same precision that God created it. Verse two: Thy throne is established of old; thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. David now is talking not about natural floods here. He's talking about floods that have voices. These are the oppositions of the enemy that come against the people of God. But here is the promise, and I need you to understand this tonight. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So let's go back to the original statement that I said. If God says something, it is going to pass. There's nothing going to alter it. There's no political movement that's going to change it. There is no dealings of mankind that are going to shift God's purposes. It is going to come to pass exactly as God said. But David also highlights something else that I want to say, that simply uh, by virtue of the fact that God is saying something doesn't mean that there are waves of opposition against God's word. It doesn't eliminate the fact that sometimes there are real difficulties that we face. And I will guarantee you, some of you I know who are listening tonight are going through real difficulties and real struggles. And it feels like there are waves that overflow us. And it's almost like if it was not for the grace of God, we would be consumed by these floods of difficulties and stress. There are many people who are under stress. There are many people who feel anxious in the times we live in. There are many people who feel like, you know, maybe I'll never get over this disease or I'll never get past these symptoms. And, and, you know, is my life ruined forever because of the circumstances that I face? There are some people who feel that way maybe in their marriage or maybe in their health. And, And health is a big issue now uh i will tell you something it it is not an it is not an unreal thing or i guess an unrealistic thing for us to have a natural sense of anxiety a logical sense of anxiety about the future will we have healthcare will we have uh retirement will we have social security uh will we have resources uh, ahead of us you know and i mean naturally and logically those things are um, you know, I mean, they're, they're on our minds. There's a, a, a tension in the air. There's a, um, there's an anxiety that many, many people feel. I've had many people express that to me, uh, over the last little while ministers feel the weight of the moment. I've had many talk about, you know, many ministers who I've contacted who have had the, the virus strike their church and, uh, just, you know, watching some of the older people and people who were, uh, infected you know, how, how they struggle, and then, you know, there's a uh, certain weight that every, every pastor feels if, if there are people who have that disease within their own assembly. And, you know, we think, well, what if I had done this, and what if I had done that? And, you know, there's just a, a weight of, okay, all right, it is what it is, but how do we, how do we lead out of that now? Let's, let's lay the virus aside for a minute. In the times we live in, with the world cracking and falling apart, with the obvious, you know, winds of destruction and waves of of strife that are blowing over the earth. How do we lead the people out of this? How, what's our next step? What's our next move? Uh, You know, in many ways, I, I feel like Joshua back in the days when uh Jericho stood in front of him. You remember when they were on the other side of the river and Jer- Joshua was by himself and he's looking at the city, the walls of the city, and then the Lord meets him with his sword drawn and, and Joshua is ready to pull the sword. He doesn't know who this is, and he's out there because he doesn't really know what's next. And and God does not uh you know, God does not just show him everything uh you know, just just because he's in that position there standing there, but he comes to him and and shows him the next move and this is how we're going to do it joshua and this is what i want you to do and this is where i want you to stand and i want you to uh you know have trumpets ready and all of this this is not anything that joshua would have thought of he was completely dependent on the leadership of god and i just want to say this to you today i want to i want to highlight uh you know out of verse four In three, it says the floods have lifted up. In four, it said the Lord is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Yes, there are great waves against the people of God, but yes, there's a God who's mightier uh, than any of the great waters that are stacked up against us here, mightier than the waves of the sea. I live near the sea. I grew up near the sea, and I know how powerful it is and how uncertain it is. And, uh, you know, you can get into a rhythm of watching the waves come, and then there's a rogue wave that'll strike. And uh, there's no predicting it. There's absolutely no way to say, all right, it's going to be this and this and this. And uh, we just had that promise. And I, I just I found this today and I just love this. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Our God is stronger than your disease. Our God is stronger than your trouble. Our God is stronger than your depression. Our God is stronger than the, than the fear that you have in your heart today. And thy testimonies, not our testimonies, but his testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And I think that's something that we should uh, remember going into this, that uh, God has made a way for his people, and we should not fear that. Hey, I will say this. God's got it all under control. God's going to sort it all out. God's going to bring vengeance uh, for uh, for the people of God. Uh, sometimes you think, well, you know, I mean, I have strong feelings against this or that. Here's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 10. These are words in red. Fear them not, therefore, those that would hurt the, the body, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak in light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body. But are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is Jesus telling the people who are going out to preach the gospel, you tell them what I told you. Don't hold back at all. Spread the light. Spread the good news. Spread the word of God uh, for the kingdom in your day. And, and don't be afraid of that. And do not fear them that are able to hurt the body. But rather you fear him who's able to kill the body and soul, and that's God. He is the one that you have to stand in fear of. Don't you worry about people that do injustice to you. Don't worry about people that cheat you or steal from you. Don't worry about people that treat you unjustly. God has has your back he has all of that recorded he knows exactly how to enact vengeance and none of that needs to be our concern God's going to take care of that and that's one of the things that I believe that is very sure uh, that God is able to uh, take care of all of that and he has never ever given us the uh, jurisdiction of vengeance he's never given you the commission to be vengeful he wants you to forgive he wants you to turn the other cheek He wants you to walk the other mile. God will take care of all of that, and you don't need to worry about vengeance. It is his, it remains his even tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 32, to me belong a vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. In other words, the things that are going to happen to the wicked will come quickly. They'll have no control over the events that happen to them. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he seeth that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, where are their gods now? Their rock in whom they trusted, which did eat the fruit of their sacrifice and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. God says, now go back to your gods that you serve, the gods of money and the god of lust and the god of uh, you know political power. Go back and ask those gods where they are. And all the offerings you gave to them, let them rise up and help you now and be your protection. Let me tell you something. You want to be on the right side of the pillar of fire when God lets judgment loose. And when it happens, it's not anything that you can do anything against. There are some things that you can correct in your life. There are some things, for instance, that you can deal with. Uh, if if you have a, um, you know, I mean, if you have a health problem that you caused uh, by living incorrectly and not caring for your physical body, for instance, let's just say, for example, then you can correct that. And sometimes there are things you can do uh, that can correct that. And sometimes they're simple things and sometimes they're not so simple, but there are things that God lets loose that you can't do anything about. Uh, there are things that God will allow to happen in the earth. When you read in the book of revelation about the the moon and the stars that fall from the sky, let me tell you, you have no control over that. There's nothing at all that you can do about that. You need to just be sure you're on the right side of his grace and mercy and make sure you're on the right side of the pillar of fire. But in that day, every one of us need to run to our rock. We need to reach out and make sure our anchor holds. You want to be sure you're tied to the right anchor. You want to be sure you're standing on the right rock because God says to them, hey, where are the gods that you trusted, which did eat of your sacrifices and so forth? Let them rise up and help you. They'll find that there is no God that's able to help them in the times of distress that God will allow. We need to be serving the one true and living God, and we're thankful for that. So remember now, vengeance is not yours. Retribution is not yours. We don't need to recompense evil for evil, but rather we overcome evil with good. And so it's important for us to maintain that attitude, even in times of stress and even in times of injustice, when we are not treated fairly, uh, when, uh, you know, Christianity is slighted uh, because, you know, people are so anti-Christian and Uh, anti-Bible. Let me tell you something, God has all of that recorded and it's all going to happen. And we want to deal with that subject of protest Uh, a little bit later, because it's a very interesting subject, and it's one that I've been pondering on. Uh, So we'll we'll come to that a little bit later. Let's go back to our subject here in uh, 1956, Brother Branham in the message, Gifts. He sends out gifts and callings are without repentance, and God all through the ages has been represented on earth through his prophets, through his kings, and it's always been the Spirit of God. And if we had time tonight to go through, go down like to Joseph and dig out those nuggets and polish them up a little bit. When a man is in his right place, just like Joseph was, he was not a king, but he was in the position of being second to the king. He was also a prophet, we know. Uh, but he was second to the king. Uh, then uh, he, he, had a, he had a success here. And Brother Branham says, you know, we can, we can look at that. It was God actually representing himself through that office just like he did through prophets. Now prophets have a very different role to play than kings do. But kings are important to God. That's why he allowed someone like Joseph to be in the position as he was, uh just like uh just like Pharaoh. And uh, Pharaoh extended that position to Joseph, and he reigned in the country and uh, did some very very spiritual and and profound things that uh, even matter for centuries and centuries later. Uh, it was just an amazing story, and it is truly a great uh, a lesson that's that 's great for us so Brother Banham said though that uh, kings uh, he said were an expression. Uh, a representation of God on the earth here. And so that's why it's important to look at kings with character and kings without character, uh, so that we can learn how to regulate and govern our life with the character of a king, because we are made kings and priests through Christ. Now, in Romans 6, therefore, uh, as we mentioned before, that kings uh, are, are are people who have resources. They're in a, in a unique position, uh, and they have resources. They do not uh, have to to pass the question off to anyone else. When a king is sitting on his throne, he has the right and the duty to make a decision about everything that's brought to him. He decides matters. Uh, he makes certain judgments. And it is important for him to recognize that he has resources. If he needs somebody to help, if he needs a judge, for instance, to come in and make a uh, help make a spiritual decision, or if he needs a financial resource given, uh, you know, for people that are in a state of poverty, then a the king has resources in his nation that he's able to use. Now, as kings and priests, we also have resources as well. And Paul clearly uh, articulates that. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Paul would never tell us that if we did not have the resources to act this way. So you have a right to prevent something from happening in the same way that you have a right to allow something to happen. So he says that we neither should yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You remember I told you before that yielding is no different than how, uh, you know, drivers would yield when they come to maybe a slight gradual turn in the road. Uh, They don't come to a full stop, but they ease into the stream of traffic. And Paul is saying that we should yield ourselves unto God. You have to find where the flow of God is and then yield yourself or blend or merge into that and be carried along uh, by the waves of God's presence in your life and uh, uh, act like those that are alive from the dead, those that are resurrected, and your members as instruments of righteousness. You don't want to yield yourself to the enemy. You don't want to yield yourself to Uh, darkness. You want to yield yourself in the light. And that's what Paul is saying that you should do. You should do it because you can do it. If you have a domain in the earth, then you should therefore not let this happen, but let this happen. And kings have the right to make those decisions. So Paul is saying that as a believer, you have certain uh, resources that are given to you. You are foolish if you don't use them. You are foolish if you ignore the reality of the right to use the resources that are given to you by virtue of your position or the throne you sit on. There are things that will cripple you in life, like resentment, regret, shame, guilt, and bitterness. These are a few. And we talked about some of these, and we have mentioned them in our discourse here. Uh, None of those things can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, but they can make life difficult they can make life, uh, they can slow you down in life, and they can they can attempt to make your relationship and your intimacy with the Holy Spirit dysfunctional. And when we're filled with shame, when we're filled with regret, there are things that, you know, they, they cause us to hang our head low, and we don't feel like being a part of, of the movement of God. Excuse me, we don't feel like being a uh, you know, coming to the communion table, we don't feel like God loves us. We don't feel like God cares for us. We feel like, how could God love someone like me? But you need to keep in mind that in Romans eight thirty there is nothing that separates a believer from uh, Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can, nothing that will. And God is never surprised at events in your life. He knows the things that take place. So therefore, your Your responsibility is to take the resources that are at your disposal as as a, a king and a priest in your household and in your life and use those against the things that cripple you and slow you down. And that's the whole point of what we're talking about. So you'll remember as we go back for a moment here now and look just very briefly, I've shown you this uh, screen many times here, that uh, Saul was a a good man, a man who had favor, uh, not only in in his family, but in Israel. Uh, He was a a man who was uh, favored enough that when people looked at him, uh, they thought, wow, this would be a good candidate for a king. Now, Let's just make sure we orient ourselves here as we study this, because this is not just Old Testament history here. Brother Manum tells us, he said, God called us and we become kings and priests unto God like Jesus was God's high priest. We become a lesser priest, meaning that a mom and a dad have a priesthood. They have a reign in their household, like a pastor has a ministry and a minister has a ministry, uh, like a, a political leader. Uh, who is duly elected, He has a ministry, He has a role to play and we are all going to answer to God for the role that we play. We want to make sure that we utilize uh, all that God's given to us. God in fullness dwelt in him to shine forth the expression of God to the world. For God was in Christ reconciling the world of himself. And as God was in Christ reconciling, God comes into the church and anoints Messiahs. The same power he had is in his church. The same power he had is in his church. And his church becomes his dominion. And he's king over this dominion. And we are kings and priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God. The fruit of our lips giving praise unto his name. That's exactly, that's the bottom line. And that's a good one for us to understand. All right, a couple of more quotes here. God led the people of the Jews. God led the people of the Jews. They were never a nation. They were just a people. There never was an organized church. They were just the church called out. There never was an organization among the Jews. They were always led by God. Now, let me just let me just say this and and this is just a commentary based on my observation uh being a new, new American. I uh you know I've read a fair bit and and uh, looked at the history of America and its constitutional origin. I've been at the home of James Madison out in Montpellier, and uh, it is a great uh just a great place to go and visit and to see where he actually uh, you know, drafted the Constitution with others and contributed to that, uh, the great documents that formed our nation. And the idea, and this is a very important concept that we even now need to keep in mind as, as uh, citizens of this nation, is that the government was, was certainly made for the people. The people were not made for the government. This is to be a government for the people by the people, and this is the idea that God instilled in the Jewish people, believe it or not, that God led the people of the Jews. The structure of nationhood was not as important to God as his presence among them. What was important was, and what God knew was, is that if I dwell among you, not only are you going to be victorious, but you're also going to survive as a people, even if the nationhood is threatened. So the borders of a nation, for instance, can be threatened. But if God is with us, who can be against us? And the idea of that, that God wanted to convey to Israel is that whether you're in Egypt or whether you're wandering in the desert, whether you're within the confines of the borders of Israel or whether you are scattered like Jews have been for the last almost 2,000 years, they are still a people even though their nationhood was fractured. Their nationhood was threatened, but they're still a people. What we've witnessed in the last day is a people who came back together as a nation, but they always were a people of God. And that's an amazing thing. God wanted Israel to be that in the same way that God wants us to be that. Now, let me tell you something. I've traveled in many, many corners, many, uh, many places in the world. And it's just absolutely amazing how the people who compose the bride do not and will not ever live in one nation, but they are still a people because we have a common bond and the common bond is the presence of God among us. Therefore, we can be a people without being a nation. We can survive as a unified group because of the presence of God, not because we have a national border and a flag that flies over our capital. We have God with us and that makes us a people. Even if we don't have a nation, even if our nationhood is, is, I mean, it doesn't exist. There's no nation of the bride of Christ, but we are a people and God wanted the nation to be a people unto himself. And he says there never was an organization among the Jews. They were, they were always led by God and politically, nationally, they wanted to have a king. So there was, there was a, a turn here. And, and this is what we've been studying: that when the people came to Samuel, they said, "We want to have a king. We want to, we want to have nationhood and representation with God. We want to have both of these things, but we want to have it on our condition." And that was the thing that that really irritated God: was that they they wanted to to veer away from this quote right here, where they wanted to have nationality as important as a, uh, you know, the, being the people of God and having the presence of God to lead them, you can see how they wanted to move away from God's initial concept. This actually is a very important quote. It's a very important statement here, and Brother Branham nails it. I mean, it, it's very accurate. I, I wish I would say, man, if I had my phone free to do this, I certainly would. Uh, because when I, the more I the, I the more I look at this quote here, and I'm looking at it, you know, under the anointing of, of preaching it here tonight. This is really quite an important statement. God gave them a king and it never did work. Imagine God. God's, <laughs> you know, he's looking at him and he's saying, hey, all right, listen, if you want to have a, a, a king, you can have it. But you know what? It's not going to work because God's their king. And th- you can see the point they're missing. They're missing this idea that having a nation is not as important as, as being the people of God, as having God as their center. And if they had allowed God to continue to bless them, Let me tell you, David was in the lineage of the tribe of Judah. David was coming, and they failed to wait on God uh, to to provide that king that, that God wanted to lead them. All right, now let's go a little bit further. They wanted a Messiah, but they wanted it under their own conditions. This is the quote I read earlier. They wanted a Savior. They did. They want it now the same way for the same reason for their denominations and politics has taken the place of the Holy Spirit. So notice what Brother Branham says. They want a savior, they did, and they want it now the same way. Same way as what? Same way as Israel wanted a king. Denominations want a savior their way. They want a leadership their way under their conditions, but Israel wanted it as well. They were sincere in their desire, but they were missing the point. Listen, let me tell you something today. The point is very important here. That even, listen, even if there is no prophet, Even if there is no physical capital, even if there is no visible Jesus, we are the people of God because of the presence of God that we see by faith, not by sight. That makes you the people of God. That makes you the ones that God desires to lead. I hope you're getting the point. I can't see your faces here, but I hope you're getting the point. I'm excited about this. All right. <clears throat> so in, in the promise, and this was what God told Abraham, Genesis 17, <clears throat> that I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and uh, this is verse 6 here, and I will establish me my covenant between me and thy seed and after thee in their generations. God does not say, I will deal with you, uh, you know, because you have a, a, a capital and a parliament and taxes and, uh, you know, foreign policy, and uh, that's not what he says. He says, you are the people of promise and you're the people of promise because of what I I did to Abraham. And I will establish that. And I will keep that in your generations, uh, for, for eons to come. God said in Proverbs eight, for by me, Kings reign and princes decree justice by me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth by me, king's reign. So God is interested in having a king, a proper king, but it has to be God's way and God's choosing, God's man. And so if I'm a pastor, for instance, just as an example, I have a domain, I have a, uh, you know, a rulership, if you like, or I have a responsibility within my own church to be a leader. I will be successful when I let the Holy Spirit minister through me. If you are a prophet, for instance, like Brother Branham on that stature, you are successful only when you let the Holy Spirit rule and reign in your life. It's by me that kings reign. So when Israel never had a king, they observed the sons of Samuel, and we've talked before about the corruption that was in their lives. Uh, they, they felt like they were threatened as to not having success over their enemies Uh, if they did not have a physical, monarchical leadership to lead them in the battle and to administer the kingdom in peacetime. Uh, Israel, in particular, were a people who did not dwell together well unless they had a common enemy. And so in their peacetime, that's when a lot of the troubles actually happened uh, among the people of Israel is when they're at peace, and nothing's changed. That's exactly still the same. They will bite and devour one another, and they will have internal squabbles continually, continually. Uh, until they have a common enemy and then they unite in other words in the backyard they have a lot of fusses in the front yard they stand strong and you don't want to mess with Israel if you're messing with them in the front yard so <clears throat> i I, I want to just focus for a minute here on King David uh, because the let me let me and, and let me just divert and say this because this is just it's just burning in my heart here to say this and I hope it, what I'm saying here makes sense to you. The Old Testament law, um, it's very easy to just assume that the the Hebrew language here is written and, and contains a bunch of laws and rules and regulations, thou shalt, thou shalt not. In the way it's translated in the English, it sounds like that. But let me assure you that the Jewish Old Testament to a Jew is what's called a lived text, a living text. It is It is not so much that God wanted to continually put barriers around the people and keep them in by rules and regulations. He wanted them rather to have a sense of justice and self-discipline rather than punishment. And this is a very important thing, that the law was more about developing character in the people. That's what God's intent was. Now, even if it was not carried out this way, that was God's intent. Was that there are certain penalties, for instance, you know, certain things that God expressed. You know, that you should wear a certain thing and not eat a certain thing, and this is how you'll dwell on the Sabbath day. And all of those things were meant to instill a sense of justice and righteousness and fairness in the hearts of the people, rather than have them navigate through life without getting punished. Yes, there are punishments, and the harshest punishments you'll find if you study the Old Testament at all was always about rebellion and defiance. You remember that man that was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day when God clearly said, "You shall not gather those those things." We work on the Sabbath day, and the man goes right out and gathers sticks on the Sabbath day. And God's punishment is is that that man shall die, lest that sin, uh, you know, exists in the camp of Israel. Defiance and rebellion are two things that God acts quickly against because the people have missed the sense of justice and obedience and righteousness that he wanted to instill by giving them his word. Jewish law is different than laws in other countries. For instance, like in the, in, under the Roman system, an emperor had the last word. He had the last word in terms of uh, spiritual matters as well as matters of law. And he would determine what was right and what was wrong. Now, in, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in, in the times of Israel, when they had a king, the king was not given the role of interpreting law. He was rather uh, one who led the country. Uh, he was one that dealt with military conflicts. He dealt with things that were administrative issues. But the law was really meant to be between men and God. And in order to facilitate that, in order to service that, God had a prophets, and he had men to whom God spoke to. So it was not for King David to get up and take the place of Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet was the prophet, and Samuel was a prophet. So when, when Saul moved over into that office of a priest, that's why God reacted like he did and took Saul's reign away very quickly because uh, God's harshest penalties are always for rebellion and defiance. So when we look at, at the reign of King David, for instance, he remained a king who was blessed of God and Solomon did as well because they never got out of that office or that role that God had placed them in. And this is what's very important. So for us, uh, in, in terms of the New Testament our, our our word also is very much a, a living word. Jesus says, uh, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is not based on regulations and will I get the punishment? Will I get caught? That's not what it's about. And that's what it's never intended to be about. The following of God's word and the obedience of God's word and the lack of rebellion against God's word is all based on love. And God wants you to believe him and to obey him and to follow him out of love and out of, out of the strength of your relationship with him, not because you're going to get caught if you don't. And so the word is always meant to instill a sense of justice and obedience and righteousness and patience and love and forgiveness. All of those things are meant to be instilled in your heart. And as you feed on the word of God, it does actually continue to uh, to develop those characters in you, characteristics in you, and those are characteristics of Christ. So when we look at King David now, all the way from Joshua to Saul or uh, to, to King David, we're talking about a period roughly of 400 years. And it, it, it is a time where uh, uh, God was wanting to bring the right kind of a man in here to uh, to lead Israel, not to give them the speeder, spiritual leadership that prophets would, but to give them the natural leadership. But God was not afraid to test the kings. I know I'm saying a lot of words, and I'm watching my time here. God is not afraid to test kings, just like God tests you. Now let's look at what got Saul in trouble. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. In other words, (laughs) there'd be no more killing, right? Right. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. It's not what exactly what Agag wanted to hear. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. What a service that must have been. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord had repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the place where you can say, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. But Abraham says in 1960, in the rejected king, that evil spirit began to lead Saul and it led him. And today, when the Holy Spirit's rejected, what will it do? You'll get an evil spirit to lead you. So think about this now. He the people wanted to be in they wanted to follow a natural king. They still wanted to be the people of God, but they wanted to have a natural king. They were out of sync with God. So once they opened themselves up to this and then Saul he falls from grace. You have an open You have an open area for an evil spirit to take over. And Brother Branham says this, when the Holy Spirit's rejected, you get an evil spirit to lead you. My goodness, if that isn't true today, I don't know what is. Now, I don't want to hurt you, but I want you to get this. Just as it was in them days, so is it today. They don't want the Holy Spirit to lead them, so they get an evil spirit. And what takes place with an evil spirit? The evil spirit wants to lead them. They don't want... They don't want God to be their judge. They don't want God to be their leader. They don't want to be God to be their conviction. They don't want to be different from the rest of the world. This is no time to be led by a wrong spirit, but there are only two. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit, okay? Again, talking about King Saul here, and Saul tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scared, sc- scattered from him. So they're they're waiting to go into battle. They never go into battle without offering sacrifices. Saul gets worried. And Saul says, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou comest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. This is what he says. Therefore, I said, the Philistines will come down upon me now into Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. And I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. So now you have Saul moving into an office that he is not permitted to operate in. He's he's bringing in or he's combining two things that are not meant to be combined. And that's why God deals with him so harshly and takes the reign from him immediately is because he has this defiance or this rebellion against the position or the boundary that God has set up for him. And that's why it's important for us as leaders and for you as parents even to make sure you operate within the boundaries. When you operate within the boundaries, you have unlimited resources. Once you get outside of them, you have nothing but negative consequences for those actions. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord by uh, thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would he have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. God would have blessed it, but God will not bless rebellion. We'll find over in Luke chapter one, Hebrews chapter seven, that uh, there is specific. Uh, there's a specific domain for a priest or a minister, and this is uh, uh, John the Baptist's father, uh, Zechariah here. And according to the custom of the priest office, his lot was to burn incense. He had to do a particular thing. He was given an office. He was given a role. And when he did that faithfully, then God blessed that. And in the same way, that all of us have a specific role in life. And when we when we do that there's a blessing that comes with that. We get outside of it and there's consequences for that as well. So let me just, for time's sake, let me just skip over to here to Psalm 123. Uh, Unto thee, David said, lift up mine eyes. O thou that dwellest in the heavens and behold as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their master. And as the, uh, And and again, I just want want to put this in context here. I want you to notice David's attitude here about his reliance upon God. This is towards the end of David's life. As the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord, our God, until that he have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. David is not uh, talking from a position, of, well, I'm a great king. Lord, God, you've got to bless me. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, Lord, have mercy upon us. If there's sin in our camp, if there's in some way that there's contempt, if there's some way that there's an arrogance against you, Lord, have mercy upon us. Here's another uh, version of that same verse. I lift up mine eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured such contempt. contempt. We have endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. Now, let's just, for, for time's sake, I want you to notice what Brother Branham says here, what think ye of Christ? He says, now, my meetings have never been able to be set up like it ought to be, like Brother Roberts and them does, because Brother Roberts has his meeting that's set two and three years in advance, and he goes to a city and he stays there till it's over. And that's how those ministries operated. You know, they would set up, have managers. They'd even have people who would go in ahead of the team and they would uh, set things up and do advertising. And they had a, they had a system. They had a a very organized way of doing things. And here's Brother Branham saying that he said, my meetings, I've not been able to do that. Now, I just want you to watch the contrast. All right. He said, but mine, I can be right in the middle of a meeting and he'll give me a vision and send me somewhere else. And he said, just walk out and leave it. So I can't have meetings like those men. My ministry, I've been right in meetings where people would be packed and jammed and standing on their feet and an hour's time be on the road somewhere else. It's wherever he calls me, I have to go right then. I had a group of ministers recently that were about to tear me to pieces over over here about it and said, oh, Brother Branham, you can't leave. And I said, oh, yes, I can. It's God first. I must go. And he said, well, what about if God tells us to set this meeting here? And I said, God had a meeting one time and Philip was there preaching and the Samaritans are being saved. Great joy and power. And the Lord called him aside to talk to one man there, a eunuch of Ethiopia. And he never did return to that city anymore. Obedience is better than sacrifice and hearkening to the fat of rams. I think that's a great example. And I want to end with this example here because here's Brother Branham saying that Look, we, we uh, as, a, as believers, we're not organized like maybe denominational ministries are. <clears throat> we don't have a structure that is rigid, and we've decided what's going to happen. We never decide what's going to happen. Because when the pillar of fire moves, we move. And when it stays, we stay. When the cloud goes, we go. When the cloud stays, we stay. The direction of the body of Christ is not up to the body of Christ. The direction of the church is not up to me. It isn't my church. It's his church. And if it's his church, he has a right of leadership or a domain where he can be king and he can lead. I'm a servant. We are all servants. We've been made kings and priests in the role that God establishes for us. But we are never to rule apart from God. We are never to rule apart from him agreement with his leadership. So therefore, the best kind of leadership is when we consult him at all times. And Brother Branham says here very clearly, he says, my ministry is not run by men. It's not run by me. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice and hearkening to the fat rams. Let's, Let's just conclude and say this. In times like this, you graduating from the School of Adoption is really important to God because you know what? There's still a part of the journey we haven't taken. There's still more for us to go to. There's still more for us to go through. The only way we're gonna do it is His way. The only way we're gonna do it successfully is to stay within the markers or the boundaries that God has laid down for us. It is really critical for us to follow and to hearken unto God and to his voice. And even though it may be grievous to the world, it may be strange and foreign to their way of thinking, it's still best because it's God's way. And and so therefore, uh, the, uh, like God said there in, in the book of Proverbs, kings reign by me. Success comes out of his leadership. Success comes out of obedience to him, and that's a very important thing. So if we want to be successful in life, and if we want to have confidence in taking the steps that lay ahead, if you want to have confidence in going to God with your need, then make sure that in your life there's no rebellion there. Make sure that in your life there's no um, hearkening unto foreign voices. Let's bow our heads together in prayer, and I'd like to just pray for you tonight. Because I know that there are many people who are stressed, many people who need a healing touch. There are many people who need just that encouragement that comes in the presence of God. And our times are unusual. We need one another. We need his help. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this opportunity. Again, we have to study your word. It's life to us. It is everything that we have need of. But Lord, sometimes there are circumstances and conditions that exist that make our days difficult, that steal our sleep away from us and that rob us of our peace and joy. I pray tonight that that enemy of doubt and fear would be cursed. I curse this disease that circulates in our world. I know that it's not anything that is good, because it seeks to destroy and to disable and to rob us of our opportunities to gather together. We stand against it. And We believe, Lord Jesus, that you have a path through it. We pray, Lord, for those, especially those ministers that are struggling. We lift them before your throne of grace tonight. And we pray, Lord, for our families and individuals that leaning upon your strength and your arms of understanding. Lord, even though we may not be able to predict what will happen tomorrow, we just want to have the confidence, Lord, that you're in complete control. May we lay aside every rebellious thought. Anything, Lord, that in any way would be in contempt against your word or disrupt the movement of the Spirit of God in our lives or our families or our churches. Lord, may we just be submissive to you. I pray, dear God, you give us a willingness and a joy in doing so. Heal the sick and touch the afflicted, Lord, we pray. Bless our families and keep us all safe, we pray. And bless our people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. May the Lord bless you and thank you for your uh, attentiveness tonight. And uh, trust that something that has been said will be a blessing to you and something you can hold on to and um, embrace until we meet again in our assembly. We're thankful for the technology that allows us to be able to be with you tonight. And I trust that the Lord will bless the balance of your week and uh, give you strength and protection from everything that's out there. God bless and good night.